The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, May the 2nd, the Stupid Box Edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm the editorial director of Slate Podcasts, and I'm the father of Eliza, who's eight years old, and Leo, who is four and three quarters. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 17, Teddy, who is 16, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 18. Carvel Wallace claims to be on deadline this week. I think he's just relaxing on the beach. Today on our show, (laughs) we've got a question about a child who is neither gifted nor talented, and another about a teenager who is wasting his summer, praying in vain for a savior to rise from these streets. Plus, as always, we'll have triumphs and fails. We'll make recommendations. And on Slate Plus, we've got a topic that's so hot, Rebecca won't even let me tell you what it is unless you're a Slate Plus <laughs> member. Slate.com slash mom and dad plus. But we're going to start with triumphs and fails. Rebecca, are you going to start with a triumph or a fail? Oh, I'm going to start with a resounding triumph. I hope you have a fail so that you feel extra bad afterwards. Um, I have a triumph, unfortunately. Okay. I'm going to have to. I'll think of a fail while you're talking. No, it's but, okay. But I'm it's also okay. going to listen to what you're saying. I'm going to do both. <laughs> well, mine is not anything particularly having to do with parenting. Just that um, I took just, it was just my two kids and I went on vacation last week. And it was amazing just spending you know, six days of concentrated time with my two teenage boys. I've never taken a trip for that length with just the two of them before. I think there may have been, you know, a day trip or a lunch out or dinner out or maybe an overnight in New York visiting my family or something. But never, certainly never a out of the country on airplanes, staying in a, you know, hotel, going out to eat vacation thing before. And it was so freaking awesome. There was this um, period of time when I was planning this, and the reason I went with just them was that Kevin couldn't get the time off of work as we took that trip earlier this month with our friends that I told you about, the private jet trip. Oh, I remember. Yeah, and he he doesn't have the kind of job where he can say, like, I'm planning my vacation time, and it's going to be really close together. He has the kind of job where it's like, you can't do that. So I it was really important to me to do something on April break because it's Henry's last year of high school. And, you know, I had like put aside the money for it. So I was like, we're doing something. And it took me a while to figure out what to do. I really wanted to pick something that they would be into, but that would also be fun. I thought about some weird like uh, driving tours of I, I for, one, for some reason I was thinking about like taking them to Iceland on this driving tour and then I realized it was still going to be like winter there. So we ended up going to Isla Mujeres which is this little island off of Cancun where one of the primary modes of transportation is golf carts right on the road mm. with the cars and trucks which of course teenagers like totally loved. Um, and we just had an awesome time. Dinner's out uh, almost every night, except for the one night that I didn't feel well because I ate some of the street mango that Teddy bought. And so the boys went out to dinner themselves without me, which I think is super cool. Um, and we just had like an amazing time. And we uh, really like spent a lot of time floating around and bonding and talking about next year when Henry's going to be gone. And the boys got along super well. And it was just it was the best. It was really the best. And I would say if you are a parent and you have a spouse who can't take time off, but you can swing it uh, to go on vacation without that spouse. That was the other thing that was important to me is that I didn't want to go somewhere that like 
I would feel bad, like, uh, you know, I mean, I kind of felt bad, but there are some things I like doing with Kevin. Like when we have to drive in a foreign country, like I like Kevin to be there because he likes doing that and I hate it. Um, And this wasn't that. This was just golf carts, which is not like driving. (laughs) So that's one of the reasons I picked this place. And it was just it was the great it was the greatest. So take your teenagers on vacation if you have the opportunity without the other parent. Just spend concentrated time. I promise it'll be more fun than you think it will be. I know your kids are are very close to Kevin, who is, of course, their stepfather. Um, but I wonder if it was also nice for them to have a vacation just with you and these sort of original members of the family. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It was. Totally. I mean, it was definitely, you know, we did a lot of reminiscing. I mean, there was a lot of... Um, floating around. I mean, one of the uh, travel tips I will give, not in recommendations, but in this portion of the podcast, uh, is I bought these um, like ring, like pool floaties on Amazon Mm. before we went and I packed them. And so we had these three like fruit slice, (laughs) they look like fruit slices, uh, floaties. Because what I learned last time I went uh, on vacation, like three weeks before this was you will spend more time in the ocean, especially if it's like a nice calm ocean, if you have something to float on. Otherwise, mm. you go swimming and then you come out, right? Mm-hmm. But if you can float, you'll be out there for hours um, mm. just hanging out. So I brought these floaties and the three of us just sat out there. One day we were in the water for probably six hours. And a lot of what we talked about was stuff they remembered from growing up and mm-hmm. telling funny stories about their childhood. And we talked a little bit about, you know, a divorce and sort of like our changing lives and sort of where things are and how we've got here there was a lot of conversation around that that i think um the dynamic was very different because it was just the three of us and it was really really great that's cool um i i have a small triumph and i also have a small fail i'm gonna cite both of them the triumph (laughs) is um i mean it doesn't start out with a triumph it starts out with just an ordinary like piece of garbage stuff which is that leo got pink eye this week uh and Mm. and came home from school like right before it was time to pick him up on friday the nurse called to say like there was a little he complained of itching in the eye and it's looking a little red and so i mean they don't say like yes pink eye but like you, you everybody knows where this is going um and Tally, my wife, very uh, smartly and adroitly got out, like, because it was Friday afternoon, she was like, I'm calling the doctor and they're going to phone in a prescription right now. So we mm. got the antibiotics, like, right away. And I do think, you know, he can be a bit of a fussy kid. I My triumph is I have mastered the art of getting him to accept eye drops. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. We have I have a trick like a, for that, too. How did you do it? Well, we have a whole sort of ritual where we read one page of his book, and then we do the eye drops, and then we read another page, and then we do the second round of eye drops, and then we read another page. And it takes longer because of all the reading, but it becomes like something that he can feel sort of he knows where he is. He knows what's going to happen. It has this nice thing of reading for him. And, and we did it ever since he was little, and, and it worked once again. So uh, that's my method. What's your method? Um, I just used to like pull out their lower eyelid and put it mm-hmm. in it like a little pocket instead of doing that thing where you try to get it in the middle of their eye and not get them mm. to blink. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just, oh like, yeah, no, pull it you out don't like do a spoon it, and just stick it in there. You don't do it in the middle of the eye. You do it in the like in the <laughs> duct, 
like right next to their nose. You can right. see there's the little duct and they can even close their eye. And then you squirt it in the duct and then they open their eye and blink 10 times and it, it gets sucked right down into the duct. Although occasionally you miss the duct and it just rolls down their cheek and then you have to wipe it off and do another one. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, look, look, look for the duct is my, is my recommendation on a technical level. I didn't realize that I thought that was a solved problem, frankly. Um, my fail is, uh, I have never once taken Eliza or Leo. Uh, I've never once been a chaperone on a field trip and mm. she's always asked. And this morning, you know, they got one coming up the last one of the school year. And this morning she was like, dad, are you going to be a chaperone on the field trip? And like, no, of course I'm not. I, I have a job. Um, but, uh, she's asked me to do it many, many times. I've told her I'll try. I have not yet done it. Uh, that definitely felt like a fail when I had to say, I'll try and do it next year when you're in third grade. That was not very good. It sucks. I'm just going to tell you in advance. It's not fun. I mean, there's one, I've done it twice. And the second time, I mean, I, I mean, literally my kids are about to, my oldest son is about to graduate high school. What does that tell you that I've only done it twice? Um, and the second time I refused to ride the bus. I was like, I will drive my own car to this damn oh trip because I couldn't do it. I couldn't. It was terrible. Do they- um, are, are you being useful to them if you're not on the bus? Is, isn't the bus like where they really need you? Maybe, but I couldn't do it. Like that, Is that, that like meeting, like, it, like I'll, I'll meet up with you after the fight and you can tell me what happened, guys? <laughs> that That's what you are. Yeah, no, it's not great. Um, I mean, I think there are probably some that are better than others, though, right? I mean, you have to pick and choose which field trip you want to chaperone. I, I'm not doing it for fun. I'm doing it to discharge a parental obligation. I, I really. And if I do two by the time they both graduate high school, I will feel pretty satisfied with myself, frankly. Tune yeah, it's been a really long time since I did yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's great. Before we move on, let's do the business. If you have a question that you would like us to tackle on the air, you can send us an email, momanddad at slate.com, or you can leave us a voicemail, 424-255-7833. Perhaps you didn't know this, but we have a Facebook group, and uh, it has a lot of members now. It's like getting big. They were coming up on 10,000 members, I think, but uh, it's still weirdly a really good group. I um, never would have thought I would be a person who would enjoy spending time in a Facebook parenting group. I say that not out of snobbery. There's nothing wrong with Facebook parenting groups. Many of my best friends are Facebook parenting groups, uh, but I wouldn't have thought it was my thing. But the level of discourse in the Slate Parenting Facebook group is high. Go to Facebook, search for uh, Slate Parenting, and you will find us talking about parenting stuff and about this podcast too. So um, jump on there and uh, let us know how annoyed you were that Carvel wasn't here this week. And if you're not yet a Slate Plus member, you don't even know what we're going to talk about this week, but it is scandalous. Rebecca has some scandalous stuff that she does not want the world to know about. Uh, if you want to hear that segment and another one, although probably slightly less scandalous every week, uh, you can do that by becoming a member of Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash plus. Join Slate Plus. You pay $35 for your first year and you get two weeks free trial. Check it out. See if you like it. Cancel during that two weeks with no obligation. Otherwise, you pay $35 for the first year and then you get this show with no ads. You don't hear any ads uh, in any Slate podcast. And what's more, you get an extra segment every week, including the one where Rebecca confesses something absolutely terrible, but I can't tell you what it is. Slate.com slash mom and dad plus if you want to find out. Okay, let's get on with the show. 
time now to take a question from a listener. Uh, this one came to us by email. Do you know our email address? I think you do. It's momanddad at slate.com. You can send us questions there, uh, just as this anonymous question asker did. The question is being read for us by Slate's own Shasha Leonel. Hi. I'm pretty much writing in hopes that you guys can talk me down. Before I even had kids, I had a firm rule that I was not going to buy into the get your kid into the best school mindset. I watched families move away from our building to try to get into a better district, and I rolled my eyes. I'd shake my head when I heard that people hired tutors to get their kids to do well on the gifted and talented test. I was not going to make a big deal about it. Sure, I'd have her take the test, because why not? But it's not like it means anything. I know my girl. She's bright. Socially adjusted, curious about everything around her. It was so not a big deal that she thanked me for getting to take the test and wanted to take it again. Of course she felt that way. I'm an easygoing mom who doesn't put pressure on her five-year-old. Whatever. Whatever happens, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Then we got the results. And they were not good. Like, really not good. Suddenly... It means something. You know, sure, it's only been a day, but suddenly I'm spiraling. Is my girl dumb? Are these tests just nonsense? Should I be working more on this stuff at home with her? Looking into getting her assessed for a learning disability? Should I be freaking out that she's still scribbling here when her classmates are coloring glorious pictures? She's in pre-K, and her teachers have expressed zero concerns about her development. Socially, she's super well-adjusted. Like, I wish I was as well-adjusted as she is. She does dance and piano, and seems like she's just having fun. She has a lot of friends, but at the end of the day, likes to have some downtime with her iPad or, you know, a few episodes of Adventure Time, which I love just as much as she does. This is all normal, right? I think I was all the more thrown because... I was a gifted kid. Yuck, I hate even writing that. And I really built my kid identity around that, showing off my spelling skills, bragging about how much I read, but really hitting a roadblock by middle school when I realized my natural intelligence, gross, could only and would only carry me so far. I didn't want my daughter to go through that, and I, I guess we don't have to worry about that. But right now, I am very much in compare and despair mode. Any guidance would be greatly appreciated. Yours, F those G, D, G, and Ts. I love this question uh, because this is such a great instance of how having and raising children will expose all of your hypocrisies and self-deceptions. <laughs> uh, like I, I could so see myself being this letter writer. Of course, you know that like, uh, you know, the tests don't matter and they're arbitrary and there's so many more important things and you want your child to be healthy and, and well adjusted and, and all of that. But somewhere in the back of your mind is the idea that in fact, of course, your child like you is so naturally brilliant and wonderful and gifted that you don't have to care about any of that stuff because she's going to excel on all of those tests anyway, and that won't be why you love her. That won't even be important. She's just going to do it anyway. It's just going to be this little side thing that doesn't really matter, but it's definitely going to happen. And the trouble is that, like, reality doesn't always go the way you assume that it will. 
And it turns out that your belief that you don't care about any of that stuff and it's not important and it doesn't matter to you rests on an unexamined assumption that you don't need to worry about it because it's all going to be fine because your kid is a genius like you. And that's not, it turns out, a sustainable assumption. And then when the assumption is challenged by reality, then it turns out that your your whole set of beliefs about yourself and what you care about and don't care about collapse because they're built on sand. It turns out that you do care about this and you care about her doing well on this five-year-old gifted and talented test and you care about her going to a good school and you, you probably care about the whole set of stuff that you have convinced yourself that you don't care about stretching on into the future. And it kind of sucks that you have to confront that, but it's also good in a way because that means that now you can think about this stuff based on how you actually feel and not on how you like to convince yourself that you feel. Like one thing that probably is important to you is I think you don't want to make the kid feel like your love for her is contingent on her doing well on the tests, right? And you don't want her to take on whatever anxiety it turns out that you actually have about her performance on the tests and her education and her success and like that. And knowing that you actually have those feelings and also that you don't want those feelings of yours to be toxic for her is is actually quite useful because then you can take active steps to prevent them from being toxic for her. And knowing that you actually care about that stuff is is also useful for another reason, which is that you can sort out what actually matters and what doesn't. And maybe you do care about her going to a good school, or maybe you do care about her getting good grades in high school. I submit that it's better to care about those things than to care about her performance on a gifted and talented test that she takes while she's in pre-K, which obviously measures nothing so much as her development along a few very specific axes uh, and, and which will be moot within a year or whatever. So my advice to you is concentrate on the specifics of this particular test and what it means or doesn't mean, which is to say not much. Uh, and, and in the background, concentrate on, uh, trying to cast off some of your self-deception about your own, uh, priorities and feelings. Uh, good luck with that. What do you think, Rebecca? <laughs> um, I am still getting over the fact that like the gifted and talented testing is still a thing. I really am. Like I, I'm really very upset and shocked and saddened to hear that this is still a thing and that there's still this like sorting hat <laughs> based on this ridiculous piece of criteria because the bottom line is like we all think our kids are way smarter and more talented and better and cuter and funnier and more charming than they actually are. We all think that. That's just a thing that we all think. And it in no way means that your daughter is not super <clears throat> bright and charming and talented and fun. And the way that you describe her just as a human being she sounds really exceptional. She sounds easygoing. She sounds fun to live with. She sounds like she loves learning. She sounds like she rolls with the punches. She sounds like she's fun. Um, and that is its own set of gifts and talents right there. And as far as I can tell from the way you describe the environment in which you live, you know, the place where people leave their your building because they want to be in a better school, um, you have some sort of social resistance to these ideas. But at the same time, you are surrounded by them. So it does mean there's inherently some pressure. So I'm guessing you might find yourself in a situation with at a, a, a other parents at a birthday party, for instance, where parents might be talking about their kids' performance on this gifted and talented test. And I just want to remind you, the fact that this test exists is absurd. It is a totally absurd thing. As Gabe said, it measures a very few specific things on a few axes. And a lot of the kids that do well in it are not particularly gifted or talented. They're just good at this particular set of questions. And also, it really doesn't matter whether or not your kid 
is smarter or funnier or more perfect or more engaged than any other kid in the world. It does not matter. And that is one of the things that we, um, you know, sort of put on and like walk around the world with. And I really think we need to stop doing that. And I, I don't blame you for for being there. because I think that when my kids were little, uh, I had some similar thoughts. Like, I really do stick to this idea that Teddy, even though he's a super low achiever, is like a genius. Is he really a genius? Probably not. He was just really good at math when he was in kindergarten. And so that like stuck with me. And it was like this thing where he's like a genius. Um, and, you know, there's some pleasure in that that is really uh, not, nothing to do with us or nothing to do with our kids' future success or failure or nothing to do with the quality of human being they are or how truly gifted and talented they are, meaning like what difference they're going to make in the world and how much they're going to enjoy their own experiences in their own life. Um, and so I think that the big picture thinking here is really important to focus on, even beyond the academic achievements, even beyond, um, you know, the how your daughter is in school on a particular day. You have a wonderful, wonderful kid. And I think that given that you have uncorked this you know, insecurity within yourself, which to me sounds supernatural and like I'm not judging you for it at all, maybe not putting yourself in this situation again, at least for the next couple of years, might be the right idea here. I mean, she sounds by all measures is doing really well and is really happy and her teachers think she's doing well and she's enjoying her life. So what are you trying to test her into exactly <laughs> with this exam? You know, what kind of advantage would she have? Would her life be uh, so measurably better that it's worth it for you to sort of be in this situation again and potentially put her in a situation if she picks up on your insecurities? So I would say just don't play this game anymore. It sounds like you tried to resist playing it, but it kind of came at you and you decided to roll the dice. And I don't know. I just wouldn't do it again uh, if it were me. It doesn't it doesn't seem like it's a great place for you to put yourself in. It is hard not to translate those feelings or in some way convey them to your kid. Yeah. I mean, at some point you're going to come up against testing, right? Uh, you can opt out for a while, but uh, at some point your kid is going to be evaluated according to some measure of academic success. And you're going to have to figure out how to feel about that and particularly uh, how to feel about it if if her results are not as fantastic as yours were when you were a kid. And uh, maybe that that is the challenge that faces you in, in your parenting adventure. And uh, good luck vanquishing that uh, particular foe. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think the important thing is like that's a the foe is within yourself. It is really hard though when it's when it's your own kid. It is, I'm and sure. I know yeah, and I know this because you know I experienced this with my own kids and then also with my stepdaughter. And Much there was easier, a lot of, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of angst when she was like trans in middle school, around middle school, about when they start doing the sorting hats and like you get into a track, like an honors track versus like a you know regular track for different subjects. And there was a lot of angst with her dad and her mom about her not doing honors track or get or, or testing into honors track and, you know, you know, questioning the school about if they made the right choice and this or that. And it was very clear to me, like, she's thriving in the tracks that she's in. Why are we trying to I mean, not everybody was meant to be challenged in that particular way. Not everybody thrives in that environment. It has nothing to do with sort of your basic intelligence and, and who you are and like. You know, it, it doesn't mean you're not bright. It just means that that's, you, you learn better in that different kind of environment. And even if it does mean you're not as bright, like, so what? Like, so what? You know, it's like, what does that actually mean if you learn that your kid is 
dumber than you'd like to think they are. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, Lily is not dumb. She's like a wonderful person. She was really successful in all the classes that she's took. She's she's having a super successful academic career in college right now, and she's very, very happy. And really, like, the idea that those conversations even happened when she was in sixth and seventh and eighth grade, like, seems so small now, like, when you have these fully formed people in the bigger picture. But I'll tell you, it is much easier when it's not, you know, when it's not so close to home because the Teddy stuff... You know, it still bothers me, you know, that but like I, I, I try to meet out like what about it is me being like you're not living up to your potential versus, you know, you, uh, you know, you should be because you're my kid. You should be in the honors classes. You know what I mean? So yeah. those feelings are still there, but they are stupid. I mean, they really are. And even though I have them, I'm very comfortable saying that they are stupid and and not helpful in any way. All right. So uh, that's our verdict. Your feelings are stupid. No, they're not. Uh, wait, they, you just said they, they were. You're right. You're right. They are stupid. But okay. she's. But the, but the writer in her isn't stupid for having them because they're no. natural to have. Right. It's just that they're stupid. <laughs> put them I, in a right stupid to... box and put them under the bed. <laughs> yes. The stupid box edition. That's what we're calling this one. Uh, all right. I, I hope that was helpful and uh, not too insulting. And uh, enjoy stuffing your feelings into the stupid box. And... Uh, <laughs> Let us know how that goes. Perhaps they'll emerge uh, some years later, uh, misshapen and and twisted uh, into strange forms. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. Let's take another question from a listener. Once again, this one came to us via our email address, which I don't need to repeat for you because you already know that it's momanddad at slate.com. Hi. I am mom to a 15-year-old son, and summer is approaching. So far, his plan seems to be to teach himself guitar and go to his martial arts class twice a week. This was also his plan over spring break, which led to 10-hour days playing video games and watching YouTube videos, and maybe an hour of trying the guitar. How can I get him to extract himself from his room without making ultimatums and being at battle all summer? I feel like I'm turning into my mom, cheerfully proposing ideas that seem all wrong to him. I'd be happy with an internship, a job, a class, a project, anything. He does well in school and has lots of friends. He doesn't seem depressed. He just needs a lot of me time. Also, my husband and I work full time, so we aren't home during the day to monitor his progress. How do you get teenagers to do stuff? Thanks. Oh, man, I wish I knew. No. <laughs> 
I mean, really, this is like the perennial problem that I think we all I mean, I, I'm struggling with this now with Teddy, just with his after school time, just not using it uh, for any of the things that sometimes he even says he's going to use it for. But there is one thing that I can advise this writer in her on, which is that at 15, it really isn't too late to sign your kids up for stuff. And it's also not too early to have the conversation with him that you are having with us right now. I mean, I think that at 15, uh, your son is probably ready and able to hear We work all day, full time, and although your plans seem like, well, intentioned, and we'd love for you to learn the guitar, we'd love for you to continue with your karate class, it's also important to us that you have a fulfilling and rich summer and that we also feel good as parents for having uh, you had some other activities. So how about we talk about what those options might be? And then present him with some options. Uh, job, uh, maybe there's a week-long program or camp or a music thing he can do. Maybe he can be a counselor. Maybe he can babysit. Um, maybe you can send him away to visit a relative for a week. Um, I would come up with a menu of maybe six or eight things that are attainable And have him be part of that decision making, because the one thing I know about a 15 year old kid that's built this way is that if you say, what do you want? You will just hear, I don't know or nothing. (laughs) But if you present them with a menu of options and you're transparent about why you're presenting those options, he is more likely to be engaged in the process of making a choice or at the very least understanding what your concerns are. Like he might say, you know, summer is my time. I just want to lay around and relax and take naps whenever I want and watch YouTube. And it was well within your right with a, with a 15-year-old to say, you know, I want that for you too, but I also want you to do something else. And that's important to me as a parent. So that's what's happening. So we are going to decide together what that other thing is going to be. But I, I think without the transparency, with you just saying it must be this way and it can't be this way, that's kind of where the conversation might end or where he might just begrudgingly do something and then be pissed and ruin it by dropping out or, you know, pretending to be sick or coming up with excuses like that. So I would be transparent. I would insist he do an activity or two, and I would present him with choices and make him a part of those choices. And who knows, maybe he will find something that's an alternate um, choice to something that you've proposed that actually does come from him. Maybe he has a friend going to a program and he'll say, Mom, this camp that you chose sucks, but my best friend is going to this other one. How about this other one? Um, I think if it's framed that way, where he has to choose something, you might have some better luck. I basically agree with that. I think I would frame it in a slightly stricter and more disciplinarian way. Mm. Um, but uh, I, I, I think like the, how the, what would that sound like? <laughs> it would it, it would sound basically it would sound like resetting the default a little bit. It would sound like saying, "You're 15 years old. You're old enough to the point where three consecutive months of of pure leisure time is not on the agenda." Uh, so the baseline is going to be, if we're going to be, you know, working and paying for your food and shelter and everything like that, the baseline is going to be either you can contribute to the household by earning money in whatever way you, you can or would like to, and you can contribute. And then with the rest of your time, you can do whatever you'd like, or you can come up with some plan or program that will be enough, sufficiently interesting, enriching, engaging, and 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 sort of worthwhile that we feel that, that, that we're willing to subsidize it by paying for your food and shelter and everything like that. Or the absolute default is if you don't do either of those things, if you don't get a job and you don't find something like structured 
to do with your time, then we're 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 still going to feed you, and we're still you're still going to have a place to sleep, but that's going to be it. You're not going to have any friends over, and you're not going to have access to the internet or to the television or to video games or or whatever it is is the sort of default leisure activity. Like it's not going to be like pleasant for you to just chill at home and watch YouTube videos. And playing guitar for an hour every day is a very worthwhile activity, and it occupies one out of twenty four hours in the day. Uh, and, and you're going to have to find another activity for, for the rest of those hours, or there won't be any YouTube videos for you to watch because we will have changed the internet password and you won't know what it is. Um, and, and you don't need to be like angry about that or, or harsh about it, but like, that's the arrangement. That's what the arrangement is going to be. And you can sort of figure out which direction you want to go from there. I, your idea of like, here's a menu of choices or whatever feels a little spoon feedy to me, but I've never had a teenager and maybe you actually do have to do that. And that would be more worthwhile. I just think like you do have it in your your material power. It's within your power to stop him from doing the thing that you don't want him to do. And and you are entitled to do that. And if he wants Mm. to then spend the summer like sleeping late and then reading novels, then that seems fine. Or if he wants to even spend the summer sleeping late and then going over to his friend's house where there's the internet, maybe that's better because at least there's somebody else around. But you can make like hanging out on his own in his room sufficiently unappealing that he'll find something else to do. (laughs) You think he will, but he won't. He's not going to find something else to do. He's a 15-year-old boy who likes to watch YouTube videos. What if there's, (laughs) seriously, what if there's no internet? Uh, if there's no I, internet, I he will find a way a to get way. on the internet. I promise. I promise he will. He will go to the library and use the internet. Is that is that better than being in his room and using the internet, you think? I mean, it I, that's, a that's... bit. <laughs> it is. You meet all kinds of people at the library, many of yeah. them homeless. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's spoon-feedy to say... You have to do something this summer, and here are my ideas. What are your ideas? No, I mean, no, that's, that's fine. That's fine. that's kind of what I would do. I mean, because the bottom line is that he's probably going to default to one of your ideas because, like, kids are basically kids like you know teenage boys of fifteen who like to play guitar, watch YouTube videos. Uh, all the ideas they have are like completely unrealistic, unattainable. Like Teddy the other day was like. Mom, I know that you work in radio and stuff. How many friends do you have that are voiceover actors who could give me a job as a voiceover actor? I'm like, none. <laughs> zero, zero people. What I love people. is the idea that a voiceover actor wants to hire you to also be a voiceover actor. Exactly. It, it represents such a profound misunderstanding of how the voiceover business works. Exactly. Exactly. But when you say, you know, do you want to go to this you know, a uh, really great music program that the that UNH holds that you get to like go with a bunch of other kids your age and do music and like go to college classes? Or do you want to get a job at the restaurant that just opened in town? You know, or do you want to go visit your grandma for a week? They're probably going to pick the music camp where they get to yeah. like hang out with other teenagers and eat in the college cafeteria and like hang out at night, unsup- you know, relatively unsupervised because that's what camps are like when you're teenagers. So, you know, that's why I like the the menu because it's sure. not it, it is directive, um, but it also does challenge them to, you know, well, I don't want to visit grandma, but I would be willing to visit like uncle so-and-so. Like maybe you never know. There could be an idea like that that crops up. Yeah. You, you, you're saying you can either choose an item from the menu 
or you can stand there while a table of other people chooses an item from the menu and you write it down and take it back to the kitchen. <laughs> exactly. The, which, exactly. Which one do you want to be? Which side of the menu do you want to be on? Okay, I have a question for you about something that you said about uh, Teddy, which yeah. is that the, the way the letter writer feels about her son over the summer is, is the way you're thinking about Teddy in the afternoons after school. That's right. And it seems to me, if I, I feel like if you're 15 years old and, and you're doing good in school and you have friends and did you know play the whichever is bass or drums i can't remember which is which. you play you play the bass and and you're, you're basically doing fine and then like after school you kind of want to veg out most days that seems fine to me it seems like there's a lot that is going on with you and like if you need a bunch of downtime in the afternoons i wouldn't be so concerned about that it seems like maybe you feel differently no i'm i'm mostly fine with it except for the fact that you know, there are things that he says he will do that he just doesn't get to. And I'm, you know. Who among is, us? Yeah. I mean, teenagers just like to sleep. I mean, there's a thing that starts happening at about 15, 16. It happened with Henry, too. And they come home from school and they just go to sleep. And it's like coming home from work at, you know, 6 or 630 and like having everybody in the house be sleeping it just it's just like depressing in a weird way. It's like, yeah, I know that you need your sleep and everything, but there's a bunch of other kids in your school who like after school went to sports practice and then went to their job at like Market Basket or whatever. And I'm not saying that like you have to be exactly like that, but how can this be every day? How can it be every single day? Like I'm never going to come home. You're just going to be reading a book on the couch or I'm never going to come home and you're going to be like walking the dogs or, you know, even like pouring yourself a glass of orange juice in the kitchen. There just is this default kind of like on off mode with teenagers. And it seems to be this particular age because Henry went through it for about a year and then he kind of came out of it and started developing interests with, you know, doing stuff with his friends again and kind of getting out there in the world. But Teddy's been stuck in it for like a little while now. And, um, you know, it's it's just hard to explain. It's just sort of like there's an ennui around it that's really depressing. It's just sort uh, of like this default state of bleh. Yeah. <laughs> like boys this age. I mean, is he staying be... up late? Like, is he napping for two hours and then staying up until two in the morning? It depends. You never like, know. Has he, has you never he know with this kid. siesta culture? That seems nice. <laughs> well, this is why I know that like uh, turning off access to the internet and stuff doesn't it doesn't work. You uh-huh. think you, you think you like have a plan. Yeah. If your kid is completely obsessed with getting on the internet, there is almost literally nothing you can do to keep that from happening. They the cleverness of children, yeah. their ability to like find a way. <laughs> <laughs> borrowing some old iPod shuffle from a friend and logging on to the next door neighbor's internet, yeah. you know, Wi-Fi or whatever. Like, you know, it's much better to do things and have have their buy-in and like make agreements. And then, you know, if you sort of buy in and you have the agreement, when they break the agreement, like they're also breaking the thing that they agreed to, yeah. then it is to try to, and I, I love, by the way, hearing future strict Gabe and all the no, stuff I'm going to try to do. I cannot wait to hear how that works out. Well, well, what I'm looking forward to <laughs> is setting up a Faraday cage around the house to block <laughs> any kind of incoming Wi-Fi hmm. so, so that the only connections that he's going to be able to make, he, my hypothetical future said, no, the only connections that my children are, are going to be able to make uh, are to the network within the house, which I will, which will be fully under my control. That's right. Well, good luck with that. I feel good about this plan. <laughs> oh, it's so cute. Time now for the segment where we make recommendations. It's a segment that we call Recommendations. Rebecca, 
You want to recommend something? I do. And it's something that I think we all can do, but we all forget we can do. So I talked earlier in the show about a vacation I just took with the boys to Isla Mujeres in Mexico. And the thing that I did not mention is how it took me until the final day we were on vacation to not be really, really stupid about money and conversions. Like I just... I mean, it was an ever shifting, even like even Henry, who's like, a, a, like he's, you know, taking calculus two right now. It was like shifting every day between 16 to one to 17 to one to 18 to one to 19 to one to 17 to one to 16 to one conversion. And then there's sort of um, in a lot of places you go, there's like a very disparate cost of things like uh, where we were, goods were, were were pricey, but food was super cheap. You could go to the mm. grocery store and buy a ton of stuff and it would be like 15 bucks. But then if you bought, you know, a thing of sunscreen, it would be like $35. And so when they ask for the, when they tell you the amount of pesos, you find yourself in the moment just being like, how can this be? Every mm. single time. Plus with pesos, you know, if you get them out of the ATM, like the equivalent of 300 American dollars looks like $10 million in pesos. It's just like a lot of confusion there. Uh, so there was that. And there was also sort of directions around the island could be like a little bit confusing. So the thing I think that people forget that we can do, and I did this with three things on uh, vacation. I did it with the dollars to pesos and pesos to dollar converter on Google. I did it with Google Maps and I did it with Google Translate. So I could you know quickly pull up Spanish phrases is you can go to a website on your phone. Uh, push the share button and then turn that page into an icon on the front page of the screen of your iPhone or your smartphone. Mm -hmm. So it looks like an app and mm -hmm. it just accesses a website instead. Mm -hmm. And this is an old school thing that probably most of you listening are like, well, yeah, duh, of course I know you can do that. But you know what? I'm a digital person by day as my day job. And I completely forgot that you could take a website and basically turn it into an app portal and have it at the ready on the front page of your phone every day. So I did that on day one of our trip. I took all the things that I found myself looking up over and over and over again, the pesos to dollar converter, the dollar to pesos converter, the uh, Google Translate, uh, Spanish to English, English to Spanish, and Google Maps. And I made them buttons right on the homepage of my phone. And it helped me get through my four days of complete stupidity before I figured out in the fifth day uh, about how much 100 pesos was. Mm. So um, that's just a tip. And that's my recommendation. And I've come home now and I realize there are a lot of websites that I use all the time, like a great one that I just did today, the kids school calendar, which every single uh, week, it seems of the school year, I have to look up on the internet, you know, the high school, whatever calendar, because it's like buried on the website. It's actually just a web page that exists, and now it is a button on the home screen of my phone. Um, so that is my recommendation. Take advantage of this old-school piece of tech. Bring it back and use it to save things that are on the web that you need to access frequently and that you can never find when you need them. So your recommendation is bookmarks. Use your phone. Yes. Bookmarking. <laughs> Bookmarking. Except turning it into a little app thing, you know? Yeah. Like making yeah, it no, like no, the I share onto your home screen. Yeah. Come no, on. It's a great feature. I know great you, feature. You probably do it all the time, but have there ever been a time that you forgot some dumb thing that something does and then you remember that it does that thing and it's very exciting? Uh, yes. This was many, one of those many times. times. Yes. Okay. Great recommendation. Um, I'm going to recommend uh, some content on the website slate.com. Um, this is a special package that we published this week about teacher gifts. It's three pieces by teachers on teacher gifts. There's a piece on like what teachers actually want for gifts, which is probably the most useful and servicey one. But then there's two really good essays that I really loved reading. One of them is um, 
here is the best way you can actually change a teacher's life with very little money and a small amount of effort. I'm not going to spoil it by telling you what it is. It's by uh, Matt Dix, who has been on the on this show a while ago and who's one of the Ask a Teacher columnists. And uh, it's it's the headline is the incredibly simple but amazingly effective way to change a beloved teacher's life. Uh, it's worth reading, and uh, it makes me want to do the thing that it recommends. And then the mm. second one is a piece saying stop uh, creating teacher gifts in order to optimize them for your Pinterest or uh, Instagram. <laughs> no teacher wants your like special orange bucket of like or, like orange goldfish and orange glue sticks and orange highlighters in an orange bucket because it's summer themed or whatever. Teachers don't want that shit. They want like actually useful things that they will want. Uh, stop making. Stop giving teachers twee and uh, childish gifts it's it's not only useless it's it's actively disrespectful um, and that was a, a very satisfying read as well I didn't know people did this but I could imagine being a teacher and just being super annoyed that people give you that crap anyway um, so check it out it's on slate.com I'll put it in our uh, on our episode page that's really good but can you just tell me like what are one of the two things that like teachers actually want can you can you spoil that? I'm not going to spoil it. I want people to read this thing. They should read the thing. I'm not going <laughs> to. No spoilers here. Mm. I will tell you who dies at the end of Avengers Endgame. Actually, I won't. I have <laughs> Everyone Avengers knew that Endgame. already. Come on. Everyone right. knew that. <laughs> and you can find all of those recommendations and our recommendations from every other episode of this show ever by going to slate.com slash endorsements. A whole database, all of my recommendations, all of Rebecca's, all of Carvel's, and also from some other shows as well. Apparently there's a show called The Political Gab Fest where they talk about stuff. You can find that there too. I don't know what that is. Um, anyway, slate.com slash endorsements. Ah, that's our show. If you're a Slate Plus member, stick around to hear our special scandalous mystery segment. You've got to be a Slate Plus member even to know what it is that we're going to talk about. If you have a question you want us to tackle, you could send us an email. Have I mentioned our email addresses, momanddad at slate.com? I think I have several times. Or you can call us, leave us a voicemail, 424-255-7833. Second time I've said that. Let us know what you thought of the show at our Facebook group. Go to Facebook, search for Slate Parenting, and uh, tell everybody how much you like or alternately dislike the show. Our show is produced by Jess Jupiter. Carvel Wallace will be back next week. For Rebecca Lavoy, I'm Gabriel Roth. We will see you next time. 